This is Ni'ima Novetsky from TanakhStudy.com. Over our last few classes, we've been looking at the laws of Shemitah and Yovel. Today we'll conclude the unit, looking at just five verses, verses 18 through 23, which at least at first glance speak of two distinct blessings to the people. One for observance of mitzvot in general, and one to help the nation before the Shemitah year. Verse 18. You shall do my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them, and you shall dwell in the land in safety. The land shall yield its fruit, and you shall eat your fill and dwell therein in safety. Hashem tells the people that if they keep both his chukim and his mishpatim, those mitzvot between both, man and, between both man and God and man and his fellow man, then Hashem will give the people security in the land and ample produce to eat. At first glance, the verse sounds like it's referring to general observance of the Torah, to keeping all of Hashem's chukim and mishpatim, and not specifically about observance of the two mitzvot that we've been speaking about in the chapter, Shemitah and Yovel. Then again, as we saw over the last few classes, each of the institutions of Shemitah and Yovel can aptly be referred to as both a chok and a mishpat, as each contain elements of recognition of God, but also of social welfare. So it's also possible that the blessing of our verse might refer to observance of these mitzvot specifically, and not to general observance of mitzvot, a blessing which may be somewhat out of place here regardless. The next verse is backtrack to the opening of the Shemitah year. Verse 20. If you ask, what shall we eat in the seventh year? Behold, we shall not sow nor gather in our grains. Then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and it shall bring forth fruit for the three years. You shall sow the eighth year and eat of the fruits, the old store. Until the ninth year, until its fruits come in, you shall eat the old store. In these verses, Hashem anticipates that a ban on all agricultural work for a full year will cause deep anxiety for the people, leading them to ask, but what will we eat? And so Hashem reassures them that the crops of the sixth year will sustain them for three full years. These few verses raise, raise tons of questions. First, from elsewhere in Tanakh, we know that Shemitah proved an extremely difficult law for the nation to observe. The blessings and curses of Vayikra chapter 26 single it out as the root cause of the nation's ultimate exile. And Devrei Hayamim suggests that this prediction came true. Yet. If the people received a threefold blessing of grain even before the seventh year began, and all of their needs were already provided for, why was it so difficult for them to observe the mitzvah of Shemitah? It's noteworthy, too, how unique this blessing is. In Tanakh, almost all blessings come as reward after keeping a mitzvah or showing faith. Our blessing, in contrast, is a response not to a show of faith, but to a lack thereof. What makes this blessing distinct? Moreover, why is Hashem not bothered by the lack of faith? After, the, after portraying the people as questioning, what shall we eat? Hashem simply allays the people's anxieties without passing judgment over whether this question is appropriate or not. 
how those should the people's questioning be viewed? Is their concern a natural and valid one? Or should, be, or should it be understood negatively as a lack of faith and an unwarranted complaint? A second set of questions relates not to the nature of the blessing, but to its duration. Hashem promises a three-year blessing. But when one thinks about it, this is sort of strange. If farming is prohibited for only one year, should not a two-year blessing have sufficed? Another question, which at first glance might seem unconnected to the duration of the blessing, but as we'll soon see, might actually be very connected, relates to the people's complaint. What shall we eat in the seventh year? The worry expressed in these words seems to be slightly imprecise. It's not the seventh year in which the people will have nothing to eat. For that year, like every year, they can eat from the previous season's harvest. Should they not instead be expressing concern over what to eat in the eighth year? Finally, the placement of our verse is somewhat difficult as well. Since the blessing is meant to help one prepare for the sabbatical year, one would have expected that it would appear right after that discussion in verse 8, and not in the middle of the discussion of the Jubilee year and the related laws of land purchase and redemption which follow. What might the placement teach us about the blessing? We'll explore all of these various questions, starting with the nature of the blessing, how it worked, and why, if the people were blessed before the year, was the mitzvah nonetheless so difficult to observe. The standard interpretation assumes that Hashem's blessing is a quantitative one. In the sixth year, the people reap more than usual, so that the six years' crop can sustain them during the following years in which there is nothing to harvest. As such, this blessing comes to facilitate observance of Shemitah rather than to reward it. Shemitah is not a test of faith, but a tool to instill it. The gift of a threefold harvest teaches the nation that Hashem always cares for them, and this leads to their dependence on Him. It might be compared to the manna which descended in a double portion on Friday in anticipation of Shabbat when it would not fall, providing for the people before the absence of food was felt. According to this approach, the people's question, what shall we eat in the seventh year, probably does not refer to an actual question asked by the nation at the end of the sixth year, for by that point they would already have seen that their crops have been blessed and that there's enough food to sustain them. Rather, this approach would likely suggest that Hashem is simply preempting a question that the people would have asked had there been no blessing. One might read, not as when you say, what shall we eat, but as lest you say, what shall we eat. Given this scenario though, why then did the people not observe the mitzvah of Shemitah? It's possible that despite being provided for, people were still anxious lest something happened to the stored crop. Perhaps too, greed set in, and they simply wanted to reap more. Again, this can be compared to the manna. When people went out on Shabbat hoping to find more manna, despite having been, having been given a double portion the previous day. It's also possible that even those who managed not to sow on the sabbatical year, nonetheless did not observe the social justice aspects of the year. The Kliyakar offers a different understanding of how the pre-Shmita pre blessing worked. He suggests that it was not a quantitative blessing, but a qualitative one. 
although the amount harvested in the sixth year would be no different than any other year, Hashem promised that it would last longer, nourishing the people for three years instead of the usual one. If so, observing Shemitah is an extremely demanding test of faith, as the nation neither receives nor sees a double portion in advance. Rather, they must trust that Hashem will make the regular produce of the sixth year go further, that it will be more nourishing than usual. As such, it is not surprising that many fail to observe the mitzvah properly. The Kliyakar also compares the mitzvah Shemitah to mana, but specifically to one of the tasks attached to the mana, that the children of Israel were not allowed to hoard it for the long term, but needed to have daily faith that Hashem would continue to provide for them. According to this approach, it's possible that the blessing was limited to those who observed Shemitah. Perhaps their crops miraculously sustained them for three years, but the crops of people who did not keep the laws might not have lasted longer than normal. If so, this blessing is similar to many others and comes as a reward for following Hashem's commands. Sforno offers one last understanding of the blessing, to some extent combining the two approaches that we've just reviewed. He suggests that the nature of the blessing differed in accordance with the degree of faith held by the people. Hashem promised that if the nation had enough trust, he would ensure that a regular-sized harvest would be of such quality that it could nourish the nation for three years. However, if the people had doubts, he would increase the quantity of the harvest so they could see with their own eyes that it would suffice. According to Sforno, all of verses 18 through 22 both the blessing that sounded like it was about general observance of the mitzvot and the blessing meant to help alleviate the difficulties of the Shemitah year really refer to the pre-Shemitah blessing. They do not constitute two distinct blessings, but rather offer two possible scenarios as to how this pre-Shemitah blessing will work. Verses 18 and 19 speak of a case in which the people have faith, and as such, they are blessed v'achaltem lasova, that they will be satiated with just a little. While verses 20 through 22 refer to a case in which the people are plagued with doubts and as such are told that there will be a quantitatively bigger crop. According to this position, the people's reaction to the upcoming Shemitah year served as a measure of the people's faith. In certain years, they had sufficient trust to not question their survival, while in other years they asked, what shall we eat? As such, in different years, the blessing acted differently. While the qualitative blessing is a reward for faith, the quantitative blessing is an incentive to facilitate observance. The former is considered a higher form of blessing. It requires no extra work on the part of the receiver, neither in extra harvest time nor in finding extra storage space, and in some ways is more supernatural, as it is a hidden miracle. This position views the question of what shall we eat negatively as betraying a lack of trust. Nonetheless, Hashem does not consider this as cause for punishment, but rather as a sign that the people need more concrete proof of Hashem's care. With these approaches in mind, let's now move to our second main question, that regarding the duration of the blessing. Why are three years of produce needed and not just two? Many commentators discuss the issue, not just because of the conceptual question, but because of the polemics that have surrounded it. 
The interpretation of the verse is a source of debate between Chazal and a certain group of Karaites, a sectarian group within Judaism who does not abide by rabbinic law. As we'll see in a moment, the debate is not only about the interpretation of our verses, but also about the Jewish calendar. For the two groups date the agricultural new year, and hence the start of the sabbatical year, from different months, a point which has much relevance for how the Shemitah year worked in general. The discussion that follows might be a bit more technical than usual, but I hope it'll still be clear. So, how does each group explain our verses and the need for three years' worth of produce? Let's start with Chazal's understanding. According to the Sifra, the Midrash Halacha in our verses, Hashem is indeed promising that the harvest will provide sufficient food for three entire years. They suggest that this is necessary because the verses are speaking not of every sabbatical year, but of the exceptional scenario of the seventh Shemitah cycle in which the sabbatical year is followed by the Jubilee year and when sowing is prohibited for two years in a row. As such, the people need to be sustained not for one harvest per year, but for two. This reading is supported by the location of these verses in the midst of the discussion of laws related to the Jubilee year, rather than, as we might have ex expected, after the laws of Shemitah. Rav David Tzvi Hoffman, however, challenges this reading, pointing out that it is odd that the Torah would be concerned only with the unique case of Shemitah followed by a Jubilee year, rather than the worries brought by every regular Shemitah cycle. Abrabanel, however, responds that there's no need to discuss the regular scenario, since it's commonplace for there to be a crop failure which necessitates one year's harvest to last for two. Thus, it's specifically the most severe scenario that the verses must address with a special blessing. One might question this reading from a textual perspective as well. Verse 22 states, hashminit, that the people will once again be able to sow in the eighth year. Yet, according to this reading of the verses, the eighth year is the jubilee year when sowing is once again forbidden. How would those who take this approach understand this verse? Our Barbanel suggests to read it in light of the promised blessing mentioned just beforehand. Because of the threefold blessing of grain, it will be as if you sowed in the eighth year. This, though, doesn't seem to be the simple sense of the verse. This whole approach of Chazal is predicated on the assumption that the, that the agricultural year begins in Tishrei and that Shemitah starts then. As such, when the Shemitah year begins, one has already harvested the last year's grain, so one does not lose out on that harvest, only on the harvest from the seventh year, and in the case of the Jubilee year, the harvest of the eighth as well. Though this seems obvious today, as we are used to the idea that the first of Tishrei marks Rosh Hashanah, it's important to note, as we spoke about when discussing the holiday of Rosh Hashanah, that nowhere in Torah is the month of Tishrei actually explicitly referred to as a Rosh Hashanah. And in fact, not all agree that Tishrei marks the beginning of the year. Though rabbinic law rules that the sabbatical year begins in Tishrei, some Karaites maintain that the agricultural year begins in Nisan, during the harvest season in the spring. According to these Karaites, there's only one new year for all of Torah's law, and it begins in Nisan, as stated in the verse, This month, the month of Nisan, should be the first of your months. This dating of the beginning of Shemitah has huge ramifications for the nature of the laws of Shemitah. 
because if one posits that Shemitah starts in Nisan, this means that even crops planted in the sixth year cannot be harvested, since by harvest time in Nisan, it is already Shemitah. Since no crops are planted the following fall either, though, there's also no harvest the next year. And so, according to these Karaites, every Shemitah cycle results not in one year without a harvest, but two years without a harvest. And as such, it's logical that Hashem promises a threefold blessing of crops. These must last through the initial year when sown, and also through the next two years in which there is no harvest. According to this approach, the people's question, what will there be to eat in the seventh year specifically, is very logical. Already from the beginning of the seventh year, the people have nothing to eat, since in Nisan, at the onset of that year, they are unable to harvest the food planted in the sixth year. This approach too, though, is not without its difficulties. Ebenezer challenges the Karaitic dating of the agricultural new year from several verses. He points out that Sukkot is referred to as arriving at the end of the year, suggesting that Tishrei and not Nisan marks a change from one year to the next. He further notes that the shofar blast that marks the Jubilee year is blown on the end of Yom HaKippurim, suggesting, again, that the year begins in Tishrei and not Nisan. In addition, Hashem commands that the Hakel ceremony takes place on Sukkot of the Shemitah year. This too makes sense only if Sukkot, and not Nisan, is the beginning of the year. Since the Hakel ceremony is meant to open a year of learning, it is done when the year begins, not at some point in the middle of it. Finally, Ibn Ezra points to the order of Hashem's commands regarding the sabbatical year itself. Hashem tells us, Lo tizrao velo tiktsiru. Do not plant and do not reap, to prove that in the sabbatical year, planting precedes harvesting, in contrast to the claims of the Karaites. Hashem's promise of a blessing in the sixth year is also somewhat difficult for this position, since anything sown in the sixth year is not reaped, and as such, the blessed crops are really from the fifth year. The Karaites might reply that the crops sown in the, sixth, in the fifth year are first harvested in Nisan, which is already, according to them, the sixth year. And so really, it is indeed a blessing of the sixth year. One last question relates to the logic of the law as understood by the Karaites. If one cannot harvest crops in the sixth year, that means that whatever has been sown in the beginning of that year will just go to waste. Why would Hashem mandate a law that entails working for nothing or wasting food? The Karaites might respond, that perhaps the whole point is that an entire crop be sown, not for the individual owner, but for all to share from. Since as we've learned, all food grown is free for the taking during the sabbatical year. Nonetheless, it's hard to imagine how many farmers would actually want to invest in a crop and work the entire year knowing that they will not be the main beneficiaries of the, far of the harvest. It's likely that many would simply decide not to sow at all. The Karaitic understanding of Shemitah prevents a very formidable challenge to those observing the command, imposing a huge economic burden on the people, as every sabbatical cycle there are two full years with nothing to reap. And as Ibn Ezra notes, cases in which Yovel follows Shemitah would be almost unbearably difficult with three consecutive harvest-free years. Arguably, 
this would be an almost impossible command to fulfill. I want to end with one last understanding of the verses, taken by Rashi and several others, who suggest that really, Hashem is not promising that the crops will suffice for three full years, but only for 24 months. Yet, these 24 months will extend across parts of three different years of the Shemitah cycle. From the harvest in the second half of the sixth year, through the entire seventh year, and the first half of the eighth year. Only at harvest time in the second half of the eighth year will the people be able to eat of the new crop which they sowed in the first half of that year. This position, like the others, also faces certain textual challenges. Verse 22 states, This suggests that until the ninth year's harvest, the people will eat of the old crop. Yet, according to this position, already in the eighth year, the people will be able to eat of the new harvest. Rashi explains that even though many crops can be eaten earlier, there is still some produce that is not yet brought into the house until Sukkot of the ninth year, and it is this produce which the verse refers to. Only those specific crops will need to last until the ninth year. A second question on this approach relates to the placement of the command. Since unlike Chazal, these sources think that the command is speaking about the regular sabbatical year, and not one which follows a jubilee year, we would have expected the blessing to be discussed in verse 8, before the unit on the laws of the Jubilee year. Rav David Hoffman suggests that Torah first records the laws of Bosh Mitan Yovel, and only after summarizing these does it return to address the nation's concerns. So in summary, we have seen different views on both the nature of the pre-Shemitah blessing and regarding its duration. Some assume that it is a quantitative blessing, where more crops are harvested than usual. If so, Shemitah is not quite as daunting as it would be otherwise, since the people are provided for the harvest for years even before they begin. Others say that the blessing is a qualitative one. The same amount of food is produced as usual. It is simply more nourishing. This type of blessing requires much more faith, as it is not necessarily, up, as it is not necessarily obvious upfront that one will have what to eat during the sabbatical year. A third approach combines these two understandings suggesting that depending on the level of the people's faith, there will either be a quantitative or a qualitative blessing. One of the key differences between these understandings is whether we view Shemitah as a test of faith or a tool to instill it. Regarding the need for a blessing of a threefold crop when there is but one year of Shemitah, we also saw three approaches. Chazal suggests that the verses are referring to the unique one in 50 year scenario when Jubilee follows the sabbatical year, and the people therefore need to be stained, sustained not for one harvest for year, but two. The Karaites, due to their unique understanding of the calendar and their assumption that the Shemitah year begins in Nisan, in the spring, suggest that actually every sabbatical year means a double loss of harvest, as the initial Nisan's harvest is foregone as well. Finally, Rashi suggests that really the verses do not mean that there will be three years worth of food, but only two years' worth of food spread across parts of three years of the sabbatical cycle. None of these approaches were without difficulties, and it often seems that where one position is strong, another is weak. Each answers some questions, but opens up new ones. Emir Ta'ashem, our next class will move into laws related to land sale 